It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to see all of you. I know that a lot of people are, are staying home and worshiping online. You know, it's important to exercise wisdom. You know, if our immune systems are compromised or we're feeling a little sick. Um, however, we live not in fear. We live by faith. We live by faith in the Son of God. We know that he is sovereign over everything that is going on. And so while we want to exercise wisdom and precaution, we also want to exercise faith and trust God through this time. And also, we ask that God would enable us as the church to be a, a, a light to the real foundation of all life, which is found in Jesus Christ. Maybe people need to see how we go through this with them. They, they can see faith in action, and that might attract more people to trust Jesus as their Savior. So out of something as bad as, as the, the, the epidemic uh, with coronavirus and what other, uh, what other, other sicknesses are there, what other, other ramifications are there, with all that going on, may the church rise up and be a beacon of faith and hope for the world around us. That's my prayer. And I believe that God will, will out of something bad, bring something good. Um, speaking of something good, you know, tonight uh, is our first um, prayer and worship time down at, at the new site that's going to be in New Rochelle. So if you are part, if you signed up to be a part of this, this new uh, Ridgeway site in New Rochelle, if, if you want to be a part of it, you didn't get a chance to sign up, but you want to be a part of it, this is a time to come on down and pray. We're going to have some prayer. We're going to have some, some, some worship. Uh, and, and, but, but for bringing friends and people that are new, uh, I recommend that you, March 22nd is that launch time. March 22nd is that full worship service where we're just going to go after it. And that's the time that we want you to bring all of your friends, all of those that don't know, Ridgeway don't know the Lord, but for those that are committed to being a part of this site and for those that want to support uh, tonight, it's 5.05 p.m. down uh, in New Rochelle. And there's a lot more information that's out there uh, on, online uh, and in your bookmarks if you have them. So you'll see all that information. Um, we're excited about what God is doing uh, through us, uh, and we know that the Lord is going to expand the kingdom through us taking this faith-filled risk. Uh, how many of you are familiar with uh, Mark Twain? Uh, his real name was Samuel Clemens. He was a prolific author uh, many, many years ago. Uh, he liked to travel the world, and on one trip uh, with his wife Olivia, they decided to go to the Holy Land. Uh, they were staying uh, in Galilee, right on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, it was a moonlit night, and, and the weather was perfect, and, 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 and Twain decided that it would be a great time to take a romantic uh, you know, rowboat ride out onto the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And they walked down to the pier, and they saw a man sitting in a rowboat, and they asked him how much he would charge to take them to the middle of the sea. Um, and, and Mark Twain used to always wear the same white suit and big Texas hat. He was always dressed to the nines, and, and he looked like he was a Texas rancher. Uh, and so the, the man wanted to take advantage of the situation, and he said, $50. Now, back in Mark Twain's day, $50 was a heck of a lot of money. Um, and he was shocked by that, and Mark turned to his wife and said, now I know why Jesus chose to walk, you know? <laughs> you know, one of the famous miracles in Jesus' life was when he walked on water. We're going to look at the story today, and as we continue our series, Encountering Jesus, this story takes place just after Jesus miraculously feeds thousands of people. He multiplies five loaves and two fish. They're near the shore of Galilee, and Mark tells us what happens next. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. 
He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So the question people have about this story is, did Jesus really walk on water? Now, some scientists don't think he walked on water. In fact, they think he surfed across the Sea of Galilee on a patch of ice. And if you think I'm kidding, I'm serious. Scientific study, uh, 2006, it was an article published in the Journal of Paleolimnology. Um, this is the science of lakes. Who knew? Um, they were attempting to explain that an odd combination of atmospheric conditions and weather may cause rare patches of floating ice on the Sea of Galilee. Now, they haven't seen any of these ever, but they say it's possible they say that there could have been a patch that he, 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 he floated on. And according to their calculations, the chances of floating ice, this phenomenon happening, are less than one every few thousand years. But those odds didn't deter them from questioning whether or not Jesus walked on water. The lead scientist, his name is Dr. Doron Knopf. That's right, he's a Doron. I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure which would be more amazing, you know, right? Surfing on a piece of ice or walking on water. I mean, the miraculous balance it would take, not only that, but if it only happens once every thousand years or so, what miraculous timing was that, right? This theory, right, here's the thing about this theory. This theory reveals more about humanity than the circumstances surrounding Jesus' miracle. The, the, the reality is that we, in our human nature, have a tendency to try to explain away what we cannot explain, right? We've had people approach us with a really bad situation. You've probably been down this, this road. You know, they ask for prayer. You pray for healing, right? They come back to you in a week, and they get a, a better report. And they say, the doctor missed this. There was a misdiagnosis. And the idea is, it's funny, they would rather believe that the doctors made a mistake than God answered our prayer. And that's why most of us can miss miracles in our lives. We look for human understanding. And, and for me to spend this morning to try to prove to you that miracles happen is not really profitable, right? Either you believe or you don't. If there is a God, then he can step into the creation that he has made in time and space, and there is the plausibility of the miraculous. We either believe in what the scriptures say or we do not. And the truth is, you cannot genuinely be a Christian and not believe in miracles, you could be a fan of Jesus' teaching, but you cannot be a follower. 
unless you believe. You see, the Bible is clear. History is clear. Christianity itself is built upon the miraculous. It's built on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. There was no misdiagnosis, right? There is no rational or intelligent way to try to explain away the miracle of the resurrection. And even Paul says in 1 Corinthians about that our faith stands or falls on the resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise Christ from the dead, in fact, we are dead, uh, the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And if it's only for this life that we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. The miracle of the resurrection, the miracle ever, of everlasting life with him, the miracle of life change because of his Holy Spirit, all of these work together and they are crucial to our faith. You cannot be a Christian and not believe in the miraculous. Now, as important as the miracles that take place are, the reasons for the miracles are also important. For these will help us identify how they apply to our lives. Listen, it's of no value to us to believe that Jesus performed miracles 2,000 years ago if we do not believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he still does so today. Scripture also tells us that, right? In the context of, of, of God sending the Holy Spirit, Jesus on the last night that he's on earth says, very truly I tell, to you, tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Romans 8.11, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That wonder-working, healing, resurrecting power of God lives in us in the church. And so we should expect even greater things than what we read about in the Bible. Okay? You think the Bible is a, is, is a crazy book. Our lives should be even crazier because we worship a God that works outside of our understanding. So the question for us today is not did Jesus walk on water, but why do Mark and, and Matthew and John all include this story in the Gospels? What are we supposed to learn from this? What is the applicational principle that will transform our lives? Why is it important that the disciples went through this experience? And how does it help us in our experiences with God and with storms of life? So I want to take a look at this story together. Jesus has just finished miraculously feeding 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. He has sent the disciples on the journey ahead of him to go to Bethsaida, and he holds back to dismiss the crowd. We're told that Jesus goes up on a mountaintop to pray. So what does Jesus pray about? Well, we're not sure. We can conjecture. It was at critical times in Jesus' life and ministry that he, that he, he separated himself uh, for the purpose of prayer. Uh, he did it before he was tempted and started his ministry. He did it before he chose the disciples. He did it uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He did it at the end of, of the gospel when he, when he gives people their marching orders and launches the church. But probably the most memorable time that Jesus separates to pray was the night before he was crucified, where he went to pray by himself. And we know what his prayer was that time. It's really the only one that was recorded for us. 
Um, he prayed first that, that there be another way than the cross. Jesus did not want to have to go to the cross. He asked the Lord if there would be a different way. If not my will, though, your will be done. And then during that prayer, he prayed that the disciples would be united, that they would, they would, they would reach the world through their unity and love for one another. And, and then he prayed to have strength to go through the trial of the cross. Now in this story, at, at, at this particular time in Jesus' ministry, uh, what, just after he, he, he multiplied the, the loaves, uh, he probably prayed for the strength not to give in to the temptation in front of him. There were thousands of people that were there. They were coming to him day after day. He was teaching them. He was miraculously feeding them. He was healing them. And they wanted to make him king. The temptation for Jesus all throughout his ministry was to take the crown without the cross. So he probably prayed for that. He was becoming extremely popular throughout Galilee and word was spreading all around Israel about him. Probably also prayed for the disciples because they were struggling in their faith. They were struggling in understanding who Jesus was. And we also know that the people did not really understand Jesus' mission. They were looking for healing. They were looking for food. They were looking for Jesus not so much to change their lives, but to help them in the way they wanted to be helped. In fact, we know people like this. In fact, we can be people like this, right? God wants to break all of us from looking at God as just the, the helper, but instead as the change agent of our lives. Rather than looking for the gifts of God, we should be looking to the giver uh, and, and know that he is the one that will change us. Right? For me, I, I should not want God to help me to do what I'm doing. I should want God to change me into the person that is investing everything into what he is doing. Right? That is what we should be doing personally. That's what we should be doing as the church. And the disciples were, were not fully understanding the mission of Jesus. In fact, they, they are having a spiritual struggle, not understanding. And I believe that their spiritual struggle is going to be depicted by this physical struggle that Mark gives us. It says, when evening came, the boat that they were in was in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Now, it was evening. I'll wait as you get that. I'm kidding. It was evening. The disciples were in the middle of the lake, and Jesus can see them from where he is. The lake is only four miles wide, right? So Jesus can see from where he is, and he can see that they're struggling. He can see that there's a storm raging against the disciples. In fact, the word in Greek for them straining really is the word to describe someone who's being harassed or someone who's being tortured, right? The wind is torturing the disciples. Matthew describes the same scene, saying the waves were buffeting the boat and the disciples were afraid for their lives. Jesus sees this in the evening. And Mark is more concerned with Jesus' reaction. It says, about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Now, why does Mark tell us what time it was when the miracle took place? If you notice, never are we told the exact time that a miracle happens. But we're told that Jesus went the fourth watch of the night. Now, the fourth watch of uh, the Hebrews were under the, the Roman uh, uh, watches in their time, and the fourth watch was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. 
Now, the fourth watch is a theological time as well. Strategically in the Bible, many things happen during the, the wee hours of the night. Jacob wrestled with God until the fourth watch of the night, right? Met him face to face just before entering uh, his destiny in Israel. Moses led the Israelites across the Red Sea in the wee hours of the night. Gideon defeated the Midianites uh, in, in the wee hours of the night. The angel appears to the shepherds in the field to announce the birth of Christ during that last watch. And most importantly, Jesus is resurrected from the dead during the, the early morning hours, the fourth watch of the night. So maybe Mark is, is giving us this detail because he wants us to know that God is about to work again. It's time for God to do his work. It's the fourth watch of the night. And I believe that's true. But there's also something else. We're also to, supposed to understand that there was a long lapse between when Jesus first saw the disciples struggling and when he decides to go to them, right? He saw them in the evening, 6 p.m.-ish. While he was on the mountainside, after dismissing the crowd, he sends them to sea, and not long after that, he sees them struggling. And although Jesus sees the disciples struggling against the winds and the waves, he did not immediately go to them. It was not until the fourth watch of the night, nine to 12 hours later, that he goes to them. Why would God do that? Does he take joy watching people struggle for their lives? Was he too busy to go to them? What are the reasons for that? I think sometimes God lets us get to the end of our human resources in order to get our attention. He lets us struggle while we're still struggling in our own energy and in our own power and in our own flesh. Sometimes we just keep on doing what we do. We fight against the waves of life, the waves of faith with our resources. We rely on our money. We rely on the stock market. We rely on the housing market. We rely on doctors. We rely on our GPA or our SAT scores to get into the schools that we want. We rely on the friends that we have in places. You know, I got a guy, right? And by the time we've gone through all of our own remedies, well, it's the fourth watch of the night. You see, these men on the boat, they're strong, they're rugged, slightly good-looking fishermen. They, they know how to, how to fight against waves, and they know how to fight against wind, and they, are, they, are, they have a certain level of confidence that they can still work through what they're going through. They're fighting and working, and they're not giving up. Perhaps when Jesus first sees them during the evening, they're frustrated, but they're not desperate. Not yet. You see, as long as we have a shred of our own confidence, as long as we rely on our own strength, as long as we have an ounce of hope in ourselves, we can hold off God. Why does Jesus wait until the fourth watch of the night? I believe because it took that long for the disciples to go from being frustrated to being desperate, to wanting God, to needing God. Now, this is a convic convicting passage for me. Maybe for you too, but I believe that, I, that I'm not desperate enough for God in my life. Something happens, I call the doctor. I call a friend. I call the plumber, right? I call, I call somebody that's going to help me out, or I, I try to think about who do I know and what can I do. 
And here in the Western world, we have means. We, we, we will get through the tough times and the hard times well enough. We can struggle through the winds and the waves of our lives, and we can miss God's plans. This mindset leads us probably to the second reason that Jesus waits until the fourth watch of the night before he goes to them. Notice in the story, we're not told of the disciples praying. We're not told of them crying out to God at all. There's no speech for the disciples in the story, right? We're not told of them. In fact, Jesus doesn't even seem to be going to them. He's perhaps going to walk by them, we're told. Maybe he's trying to to get to them and let them see him so they will stop trying to do it themselves and they will call out to him. And maybe you're here today and you're dealing with stuff in your life. Maybe there are waves and, and there are winds that you're fighting. Maybe there are storms that are battling against you and you're still fighting in your own strength. You're still fighting in your own confidence. You're still trying to do it your way and God wants you to reach out to him and do it his way. Right? And I'm speaking to you, but I'm really speaking to me. I'm really speaking to me. How often I think I know. I know. I know. I don't even know what I don't know. <laughs> And I'm just thankful that, I'm thankful that Jesus went to them anyway. He doesn't wait for us to call on him. Because when we don't, he loves us too much to leave us there. Right? Yeah. I want to encourage you, though. It's painful to wait until the fourth watch of your life to struggle through so much without Jesus. Why would you want to do that for just even one moment longer? Why not call on God now? You know, there's a story that I I love this story. Happened in southern England uh, off of the Isle of Wight, it's called. Uh, Mark Smith was a 33-year-old lecturer from Cambridge. He was spending the weekend... um, uh, kayaking during treacherous waters and as he's going down these waters his kayak um, um, capsized and and he reached for his cell phone that was in a watertight pouch and he pulled out his phone and he called not 911 he called his father and his father wasn't close his father was 3,500 miles away training British troops in Dubai Now, without delay, his dad called uh, the Mayday to the Coast Guard, and it turned out that the Coast Guard wasn't far, and and in 12 minutes, a helicopter rescued Mark from the waters. Turned out calling dad was the right call. Do we call our father when we are in peril? Is he our first call, or do we rely on our own 911? Jesus comes to the disciples even though They never called him. We're not told he called them. He goes walking on the water. You know, Job 9 and Job 38 pictures God as one who treads on the sea. And Jesus did many divine things. Jesus, you know, multiplied loaves. Jesus, you know, uh, healed those that were sick. He cast out demons. A chapter earlier in Mark's gospel, Jesus raised a little girl after she was definitely dead. And so if anyone manifested the presence of God, it was Jesus, right? I think by now the disciples should be expecting Jesus to do the unexpected. They should be expecting him to do anything. They should know that he is God. In fact, we're told in the story that they were completely amazed because they didn't understand the loaves, which means they didn't understand who Jesus was. And so when they look on the water and they see Jesus, they think he's a ghost. 
The disciples believe in ghosts before they believe in God. They needed to know that Jesus was not an ordinary man. He wasn't even a godly man. He was God. Walk in this earth in human form. Jesus revealed himself to the disciples, but it was because of their unbelief. It was because of their fear, because of their anxiety. They were not able to understand who he is. What fears blind us from seeing God's work in our lives? What causes unbelief in our journey? It says, immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. These guys are about to die, and Jesus says, Cheer up, right? (laughs) Don't be afraid. Be encouraged, right? You know what? He can say that because only he has the power to change what seems unchangeable. Only God can say, Cheer up, after somebody you love dies. Only God can say, Cheer up, when you're facing an impossible sickness. Only God can say, Cheer up, when you face financial ruin, when your marriage is, 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 is in shambles, when your family is destroyed. Only God can say, Cheer up. Why? Because only God can change it. Because God can change everything. He can take when we are in the valley and he can bring us to the mountaintops. He can take the deepest darkness and he can turn it to light. The Bible says that in all things, God can make good what the enemy makes for evil. He can say, cheer up. And then he climbs into the boat. And we're told that the winds died down. And they were completely amazed. There was a relationship between Jesus getting into the boat and the storm being calm. Had they understood about the loaves, had they understood who Jesus was, they would have expected that just his presence in their lives calms the storm. Notice, Jesus doesn't calm the storm. He doesn't do anything to calm the storm. He doesn't say to the wind and the waves, be still. He just gets into the boat and things change. My friends, when you invite Jesus into your boat, your life will change. He will change circumstances. He will change your heart. He will do the impossible. And he will amaze amaze us again and again and again. You see, the desperate disciples needed a dramatic event, not just to save them from peril, but to shock them into knowing who Jesus is. And the disciples almost miss him because they're paralyzed by fear and preoccupied with survival. Now, maybe you're struggling without Jesus in your boat today. Let me encourage you that it's painful to wait until the fourth watch, to struggle through so much without Jesus. Why would you want to do that for one moment longer? Why not encounter Jesus today? You know, we've been going through this series and asking people to share about their stories about how they encountered Jesus. And I'm going to ask Kira to come on up and share about her story of Jesus getting into her boat, into her life.